Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining me for the special report of the Armor Report. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the financial crisis that we're all um, paying attention to, watching, dealing with over the weekend. Um, We're going to discuss, is this the financial crisis 2.0? We're going to go over really what I want to do with you guys today is focus on the scenarios that could unfold on Monday and the rest of the week and how we're going to address them on our trading desk, whether we're day traders or we're investors. Okay, so there have been a lot of great spaces on Twitter. I've been involved in a bunch of them this weekend gathering the information and they kind of focus on what happened, why it happened, who you want to blame. Okay. And what I want to do is say, okay, let's condense it. Here's what happened. Here are the scenarios that may play out. How do we want to react? Our job is to read and react, not come into the day Monday with preconceived notions of what should happen. Okay. So I want to get that down on paper with you. I'm going to take whatever questions you guys have, the more questions, the better. Just fill it out. We'll get to that Q&A and, you know, we'll, we'll work this out together. I like to say that the Armour Report is a virtual hedge fund. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Brett Rosenthal, right? So ran hedge funds for a decade, ran private capital for um, years before that. Um, we were running hedge funds during 2008, the original great financial crisis, right? Uh, and we made money that year. So we were successful in the great financial crisis. And so what I'm going to do is share with you some thoughts on um, how that unfolded. Some similarities now and other things that aren't similar at all. Um, one of my uh, mentors, one of the, my, uh, my, my um, favorite um, partners, gurus, a guy that's been like a dad to me. In fact, it is my dad. <laughs> he and I were chatting today. We were running the hedge funds together in, in, in 2008. So I'm going to share with you some of his thoughts. He's been you know, in the business over 55 years uh, running capital and being an institutional analyst and all those types of things. So I'm going to share with you some of those thoughts, how we succeeded in 08, and what the scenarios are that are playing out now and how we, may, we might um, – Uh, execute. I'm also going to let you know what's in my personal portfolio right now, having come out of last week and what I'll do with it um, next week. As always, on the virtual hedge fund desk, you are a portfolio manager of your own assets, right? So you got to figure out, take the information that I'm sharing and turn it into something useful for you based on your risk tolerance, your goals, and all those types of things. So no matter what I lay out for you, and I'm going to look, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and tell you, here's scenario one. I think this is going to play out like this, and this is how I'm going to trade it. You have to determine what's right for you and how to execute, okay? So without further ado, let's dive into um, the first question. Is this the great financial crisis 2.0? And the answer is no. Not at this juncture. Not right now, okay? Okay. the more that the Fed and the Treasury come out with comments about how they're going to stop systematic risk, the more concerning it is, okay? But as of right now, we're talking about right now, um, it's not the great financial crisis. Dad and I were chatting. His comment is it's like a tempest in a teapot right now. There's over three what is it, $3 trillion of excess liquidity out there. We had a liquidity crisis in 2008. And it took a lot of time for the Fed, the Treasury, to figure out how to deal with it. And it ended up in QE to infinity that started in 2009, right? So this is not that. Don't listen to the people on Twitter who are just fear-mongering, right? They were like fear-mongering like crazy this morning on um, – um, First Republic Bank, right? Love to show you a line, lines at the bank, lines at the bank, right? Which are quite frankly ridiculous. Anybody lining up at the bank has an account 
that probably has less than $250,000 in it, in which case it's insured anyway. So there's no point in lining up at the bank. People who have more than 250 is not insured. And those people don't line up at banks. They pick up the phone, they make wires. I digress. There's a lot of fear mongering. We don't have a liquidity crisis. There are some similarities. The way this all started, I'm going to condense all this so that we don't spend too much time talking about how we want to talk about what we want to do and how we want to execute. Okay. Um, I'm just checking something real quick. Futures open higher. I just wanted to see what the futures are. I wanted to start today at 6 p.m. to see where the futures are. Nothing, nothing too crazy. We're going to take a look. And I'm going to follow it as we're talking, what the futures are doing. Not that it really matters right now, okay? But I'm just, as a point of reference, I want to know what the futures are doing and then how they change between now and Monday morning. So you know, they just opened. So looks like they're up marginally, looks like. Okay, and I think that would be expected. I would expect them to have futures open higher, you know, okay. Um, so let's just condense what's happened for those of you who are unsure what's going on. Similarities to 2008. It started with Moody's. And I'm going to condense this and put it into a paraphrase, Okay. Not, it's not exactly like this, but this is pretty much how it worked out. Moody's called SIVB or SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, said, we're going to downgrade you unless you get your capital structure in line. Hmm. Part of the reason for that is without getting into the details, SVB is a bank set up primarily to fund venture capital. We know that is at the extreme spectrum of high risk, high reward. We knew there was going to be issues somewhere in the system when the Fed keeps raising rates. And what happened is that issue is with SVB. They have the assets to cover what's going on. But Moody said, hey, we're going to downgrade you, right? Those assets mature. If they could hold them to maturity, they'll be okay. But they can't hold them to maturity when Moody says you need to do some things with your liquidity. So they go and they try to sell. I think it was $1.8 billion worth of some of their bonds. And they had to take a write down on that. And that's what started the ball rolling of now we have to do an equity raise. So they got on the phone, started calling VC, people like Peter Thiel or whomever, trying to raise capital. And out of those meetings, guys like Peter Thiel and whomever left the meeting and said, we're not giving these guys money and we're going to call everybody we work with and tell them to take money at SVB because there's a liquidity crunch at SVB. And I mean, there's people on Twitter and, and in Twitter spaces and what have you, you know, screaming and hollering how awful Peter Thiel is. I mean, look, Anybody in his position would have done the same thing. So, you know, don't hate the player. Hate the game if you want, but let's don't waste any time getting angry at somebody really doing their job, right? He's out there not only putting capital out with startups, which is an in integral part of the United States of America. So he's taking risk, and he's an advisor for all these guys. I bet there was, coming out of that meeting with SVB, chatting with lawyers, a fiduciary risk if he didn't get on the phone and tell all of the guys that he's advising that there's a problem, right? So whatever, ball starts rolling, money starts to get sucked out, self-fulfilling prophecy, bank goes bust. That is similar 2008, right? Don't forget Moody's started downgrading, right? And bonds went bust, but there was no liquidity there. There's a vacuum. Not the case here. Okay. So, thoughts off the top of my head. I'm just sharing with you all these thoughts I've been working on really all week, um, all weekend. It's been a never-ending uh, um, string of information, and I'm sure the information is coming out right now as I'm talking to you that I'll have to update before 8.30 tomorrow morning when Armor Insiders will join me 
for the morning meeting. So there's going to be a lot that happens between now and then. Let me just take a moment. I don't want this to be political, but let's just take a step back for a minute. Anybody that tells you this is a Dodd-Frank problem, anyone tells you, oh, this is what happens when they reduce regulation is lying to you, okay? That is not the reason this happened. People have a very short-term memory, and they forget that Dodd-Frank was overly restrictive, forcing money into a handful of the biggest banks. Nobody wants that, so they had to reduce some of the regulation to allow the other banks to compete. That's what they forget, right? And then they point, oh, God, you know, deregulation. It's not deregulation, but let's don't get off down that rabbit hole. So step by step, this is what happened. What's interesting, we saw Bloomberg put out a story on Friday afternoon, late afternoon, that money was flowing into First Republic Bank and other banks as it was leaving SVB. And then within 24, 48 hours, 24 hours, it was, there's going to be a run on First Republic Bank. There's not going to be a run on First Republic Bank, okay? Um, I'm sharing with you my opinion. I could be wrong, right? Things are happening fast, but as of right now, I don't think that's the case. So we could take off the table the great financial crisis. So what are the scenarios that could play out Monday morning? Let's take a look. I just want to see something here. That's a small gap up for futures right now. So it looks like the S&P is uh, looking about higher by about a third of a percent. The Dow less than two-tenths of a percent. Small caps flat, but sometimes small cap doesn't really give you a good indication this time of night. Okay. What I want to share with you right now at the Armor Virtual Hedge Fund, the Armor Report, what we're doing, our number one job is to read and react. Okay, so I'm going to share with you, these are the scenarios that could play out, and this is how I'll be reacting to it. You want to do it with me? Hey, you can always subscribe. Join us on the desk. We're live all day. We'll do our live morning meeting for our insiders at 8.30. And then we get the live trading desk started at, at 9.25 when we go to the close. Okay? It's going to be fluid. There's going to be a lot of changes. But this is how it looks to me. I'm going to lay it out for you. Okay? Step one. In some fashion, we wake up tomorrow morning, futures are up a lot because the news has come out sometime tonight, backstop all of the depositors. Okay? Now, let me just tell you, my pop and I were chatting, and I... I Obviously, I respect his opinion. He's been doing this a very long time and very successful, and I've been working with him my whole life. His thought is, his thought was this morning, before it ever came out, that J.P. Morgan was going to take over the company, or maybe it's going to be HSBC or whomever, that that's how this is going to play out. You can follow me on Twitter if you want to know what's happening. I'm tweeting as fast as I can, and I tweeted earlier today that this whole thing's a tempest in a teapot. It's not the great financial crisis. There's going to be some type of um, kind of like Bear Stearns was bought by J.P. Morgan at $2 after the collapse, right? A broker deal by the Fed for some big banks. I don't know who it's going to be. Could be J.P. Morgan. I'm hearing now it's HSBC. Whomever it ends up being, maybe they break it off into pieces. You know, there was a story out there that wealthy family fund in Dubai is going to take over the UK division, okay, of, of SVB. So there'll be a, a, a patchwork of private companies come in and take this over, okay? The Fed will do what they have to do to make up the gap somewhere, to make it attractive enough, right, for the bigger, for the bigger banks to take over. 
all of this ends up making whole a part or all of the depositors. The shareholders that own SVB, they're done. The debt holders, they're done. We're talking about guys who had bank accounts at SVB. What do they do now? Okay. And there's a bit of urgency here. The tentacles of where this goes is what keeps us off balance. We're going to go through the examples of what may happen. So on the one hand, it seems simple. Hey, there's going to be some type of a, um, let's call it something other than a bailout, right? Right? But nobody wants to call it a bailout. So how long, when do you think it starts? (laughs) When do you think it starts that uh, the semantic circus begins? I don't know what they're going to land on, but there'll be some term, not a bailout, but some other term, which basically means a bailout, but then everybody could say we didn't bail them out. You know that's coming, right? <laughs> All right. So there's going to be some type of, of procedure to take over assets, make whole to a certain degree. My pop was saying earlier, and I tend to agree with, agree with him, I, I don't think, and we're just spitballing now, but we don't think that all the depositors are going to be made 100% whole, right? So like we know Roku had, what was it, half a billion dollars, 25% of their cash sitting at SVB. I don't think they're going to get half a million dollars back. I don't know what it'll be. It'll be a haircut of some kind. Maybe they get 300 million back instead of 500 million. I don't know, okay? There's going to be some pain. This is what my pop and I believe it's also going to be good for optics, right? We're not just bailing everybody out. There's going to be some pain. Some, but on a whole, we're going to move past this. The tentacles that, are, that get real interesting and, and disturbing, I don't know if you're familiar with this part of the story, but there is a um, payment system. This is one of the biggest problems. People aren't getting paid at a lot of these venture funds, right? These startups. What these startups do is they give money to a particular service that then cuts paychecks to their employees. That service would take the money and put it in an account at SVB and that account got frozen. So nobody could get paid. I just share that one example with you because it's not as simple as just fixing one bank. And I I say that Having been through 2008, this story is going to keep rolling. Be very careful before you jump on something, assume something, and do something. Because the story is going to keep changing. I can't tell you how many times, 2008, the story came out that it's over. Crisis is over. Crisis is over. Crisis is over. Bang, bang, bang. Okay? So just be careful. So let's get to what are the scenarios. Let me start by saying the the dramatic amount of Armour Report capital, my personal account capital I manage, family capital, okay, we are sitting in U.S. Treasury bills. So what I'm going to share with you is, is really as unbiased of an opinion as you're going to get. I'm not really short. I'm not really long. I'm collecting 5% plus interest in short-term treasury bills. Some of you have asked me questions about the dangers of of like a Vanguard or something. I don't don't think Vanguard is going to have a problem, right? I have money sitting, maybe it could be Vanguard, could be Fidelity, whatever the big big, uh, asset managers are, asset collectors. This is not a bank. These aren't banks. You have a portfolio there. You own treasury. You don't have to sit in money markets which you're paying 4.5%, you could literally buy a treasury bill. Okay? So that's where the majority of my assets are, and they've been there since last week. Like, I guess, Thursday last week. But even before that. It's just my most aggressive portfolio that I'm trading, and I'm going to share with you some ideas there. But to be clear, we have been expressing to all Armour Insiders that This is a time to protect capital. Nothing wrong with collecting 5% in treasuries, waiting for the next opportunity. All right, so let's start there. Talk about how to react to different setups on Monday. You know the Armour Report has a risk monitor. 
right? We have 10 indexes we follow. We have algos written for those 10. When they all move in unison, we act. So we had a risk monitor green, which gets us along, starting Monday of last week. What I shared with insiders was we're going to wait for weakness and we're going to buy some weakness, put capital to work. So Tuesday, the market got wrecked. Wednesday, we were, we were adding, actually. We were buying things Tuesday. We were adding things Wednesday. Market was up Thursday morning, and when it reversed by 2 o'clock Thursday afternoon, we were not only 100% cash again. Whatever capital we put to work, we immediately exited because that's just following the strategy, okay? And we flipped short in our aggressive portfolios. And by the end of the week, portfolios had made money, even though our risk monitor went green. So I wanted to share that with you first so you understand that risk monitors, and when I talk about that, it's not a guarantee the market goes up, right? It's just statistically speaking, there's a high probability markets go up when our risk monitor goes green, right? And so we put capital to work each time. And if I can get out of a week where we go green and put money to work and the market collapses and I make money, well, that's just like a gift. That just gets me ready to put capital back to work in the market next time it goes green. I don't know if it's next week, next month, six months from now. Whenever it is, I'll be ready to put money back to work. The key to putting money to work correctly is to get rid of fear, to execute a strategy ruthlessly without reading the newspaper, watching CNBC, create your strategy when the mar market's closed, and then just execute it, right? So we're going to talk about that in a minute. I know I keep saying that, but we are. Well, here are the different scenarios for Monday. Here's how I'm going to behave. But while the risk monitor going green has a high probability of the market going up, when it fails in the first week, the probability is that the market's going to go down big, skyrocket. It happened four times in 2008. Monitor went green. Within inside of five days, went red. Market cratered. So the strategy is to put capital to work, right? We never know when it's going to be the beginning of a great move. And I guarantee you that the beginning of a great move, you won't believe. You'll stare at it and go, no, I don't think so. And of course, you look back three to six months and be like, holy smokes, how did I not put money to work? So to get rid of that emotional baggage, I just put capital to work when the monitor goes green. And I know that if it fails in the first week, I flip to the short side personally. Okay. And I shared that with you guys. And we ended up having a huge Friday. So risk monitor is red right now. What do I do Monday morning? First of all, the primary part of my assets, right? I do nothing. I'm sitting in treasury bills. I'm going to wait this out. There's nothing wrong with that. So my, my comment to you right now is don't feel compelled to have to do something. Number one. Number two, I can tell you with a fair amount of certainty that whatever the market does Monday morning, you're not going to miss some incredible entry point as an investor. So we have our day trading hat on. We have our investing hat on. As an investor, this is going to take time to bottom out. I don't even care if the government comes out. All right, let's talk scenarios. Scenario number one. Not that I think this is going to happen. I'm saying the first scenario we're going to talk about. The Fed comes out Monday morning. We're no longer raising rates. We're going to stop quantitative tightening, and we're going to start adding liquidity. I think the chances of that are like a half of 1%. Right, as close to nothing as you can get. But obviously, if that happened, I will put money to work. This is what happened in 2020. Right? Fed came out and said, we're buying bonds. And I looked at you guys, 2020, I said, well, we're buying bonds too. I mean, if the Fed's buying bonds, that's it. Put money to work. I don't care we're in the midst of a pandemic and I'm spending two hours washing groceries. Right? I'm putting money to work. Right. So... Put that aside. If that happens, I think we all know how to react. More than likely, what happens is there's some type of – what word do you want to use, guys? Drop it in the comment section. What's the, what's the semantic circus? Why don't we start it ourselves? It's not a bailout, but whatever it is, right, there will be some type of 
staunching of the blood flow, okay, and cauterizing the wound. If the market gaps up big Monday morning, I don't care what the story is. I'm just telling you, read and react. Market gaps up big Monday morning. What do I do as an investor? Nothing. I don't, I don't care, right? So now we're talking about my really aggressive capital that I day trade and I swing trade. I would be selling the gap up. If volatility gaps down, I would be buying volatility. Not on the first print. So maybe I should change the words that I'm using. I would be looking to sell gap ups. I would be looking to buy weakness in VIX. Okay? We're going to get to VIX in a minute. I want to talk about that in a second. Because the, the opportunity there is enormous. The reward to risk is worth it. And there's a reason to focus on VIX. So weakness, Monday morning in VIX, strength in equities, based on whatever they come up with tonight. And I will be looking on my trading desk for opportunities to go the other way. Full disclosure, in my personal portfolio, right, my most aggressive assets, I'm short the indexes, the Dow and the small cap. And I bought calls against it that expire next week to protect myself because I thoroughly believe, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen coming out of this weekend, okay? If the market craters Monday morning, I, I'm going to give away my call premium. I don't care. I'll be making a ton of money short. Fine. But if the market gaps up on some type of a stopgap measure, I'm going to make money on those calls, book the profit, stay short, figure out how I want to manage my short position. All right? So the first scenario to me, and the one that I think is most likely, is there'll be some type of cauterizing of the wound. Could be a JP Morgan or HSB or somebody comes in to take over uh, uh, SVB. They make sure that payrolls can be met. The, the Fed is doing whatever and the Treasury is doing whatever to make sure they can access the, the, the discount window, we'll talk about that in a minute, and, and liquidity is moving. The market has a relief gap up. And then I think starts to think about what the next domino is to fall, what the next shoe is to drop. I think this will take time to work itself out. So I'll be looking to sell strength. Would I buy weakness? Scenario number two, the market's down big. Monday morning. I would not be looking to buy weakness Monday morning. Now, as a day trader, I use trading techniques. And if I get a setup, I'm going to be short. So if the market's down huge, I would look to get long. And here's what I'm doing. I'm short the Dow in small caps because I think hate this. And I'm long when I get long the NASDAQ 100. Theoretically, I think that's where the most strength is going to be. If there is coming out of this, not if, coming out of this, there will be a, 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 um, a freezing up of liquidity given to startup technology companies. That's a market. That's a market that, that is really kind to big cap tech that will be able to buy a lot of great technology on the cheap. So big picture now as an investor, theoretically, I'm short small caps. Don't forget small caps, 24% of small cap index or small cap banks. So that's a no brainer. Um, and I want to be long big cap tech, which has been destroyed for over 12 months. So it's already coming off the bottom. And unfortunately, this is a bonus for big cap tech. These are my thoughts. So the market gaps down big Monday morning. I'm going to be carrying a short position. And I'll be looking to get long the queues against it intraday. Those are, those, those are my, my thoughts. So... Scenario one, probably not going to happen, but the Fed just goes all in on backing everything and just comes out and says, forget it. We're going to QE everything. All right, all bets are off. I cover whatever shorts I got and I go long like crazy. Okay, probably not going to happen. Scenario two, market gaps up big in the morning. 
from whatever this relief rally is, I'm looking to sell that. Market gap's down huge. I'm not looking to buy that. I mean, as a day trader, I might, I might do that, but I think that would be a serious problem. So one of the things that's disturbing me right now, there's two things I'll share with you, and then let's get to your questions. You got a lot, and keep putting them in there so we can go over them. The more questions you have, I think the more valuable this is for all of us to, to get into a conversation. But two things that are bothering me. Number one, Fed talking about making the discount window available. Let's don't forget, and this is something we remember from 2008, discount window being available. You know, the, banks can always go to the discount window. And when they do, the problem with that is it highlights weakness. There's a stigma around it. The sharks start circling that bank and looking to figure out what positions they have on that they can press the other way and collapse that bank. That's just what happens. So nobody really wants to go to the discount window. So I'm not sure that's going to help anybody. So if we get our, if we get the, that our leaders, you know, the, the Treasury, the Fed, and they come out with comments like the discount window's open, that, that's bullshit. You know, I don't want to hear that. That doesn't help anybody. Another thing that, that's a little disturbing, you know, um, I wish they would keep a lid on everything and just announce the deal when it's done. What we don't want to keep hearing is, RBC was thinking about being a part of the bailout. They don't want to do it. Uh, PNC Bank decides not to be part of it. You know, they, they need to keep a lid on this and just get it done, right? And so when they come out and they, the Fed and Treasury are making comments, right before I came on with you right now, we saw the Fed and Treasury making comments about um, – Things they're going to do to avoid systematic risk. It reminds me of the movie The English Patient, right? And there's that pivotal scene where, you know, she's worried they're going to die in a sandstorm. And, and he says, um, we, she says, are we going to be safe or something like that? And he says, yes. Absolutely. And her response is, yes is a comfort. Absolutely is not. Okay, and so that's what it's like when the Fed keeps talking about stopping systematic risk. I don't need to hear it. Just tell me what you're going to do. So these are some of the things that worry me. All right, so anyway, that's the lay of the land. Let's talk real quick about the VIX trade. I'm going to share with you this chart of VIX, okay? And I shared this. So this is the chart of VIX. We traded VIX. Um, here we were buying VIX on Thursday. We traded it. We traded it aggressively on, on Friday. I have a small position on overnight. Don't know what it's going to do. Uh, weakness in the morning, I'll be looking to buy. Strength in the morning, I probably look to sell. But if you follow the, my Twitter feed, I did share with you guys, and maybe I could share this because um, a picture is worth a thousand words. Let me see if I can find this real quick for you. Here. Okay. This is what VIX did. All right. This is what VIX did from here to here. It went from 40 to 240 in about a month. And that's, that's what's called Volmageddon, okay? So let's talk about that. And then we can look at what VIX is doing right now, all right? In 2020, VIX went from 40, this particular asset, V-I-X-Y. So you can trade whatever VIX you want. I'm just using this as an example. 40 to 240 in about a month. Reward is definitely worth the risk if there is a volatility squeeze. The setup today looks very similar to the setup of 2020, which is to say, for the last 24 months, VIX has been getting squished. And so what happens is you get a bunch of hedge funds that raise capital with a, with a volatility strategy to sell vol, sell vol, sell vol. And they just keep coining money, selling vol. But what they're really doing is they're bending over, picking up quarters in front of a steamroller, right? And at some point, the steamroller catches them. And you don't ever really know what the trigger is going to be. Is it this situation? I don't know. You can look at the chart here, though, and you can see this double bottom in VIX. It's very similar to the double bottom we saw in 2020, right before Valmageddon uh, exploded. I don't profess to be a vol expert 
okay? But what I can tell you is in 2020, when it went from 40 to 240 in about a month, the asset never went below the low of two days ago, all the way up. When the squeeze gets started, the stop I'll be using is the low of two days ago, right? So if it skyrockets again Monday, the low of Friday is my stop. Skyrockets Tuesday, the low of Monday is my stop. And over and over and over. If the whole thing takes out the low of Friday tomorrow, I don't need to hold VIX. There's no again, right? So this is not a prediction about volatility. I don't think anybody knows what volatility is going to do. All I do know is if what our leaders do does not placate the market and it continues to unravel next week, VIX is going to start ripping higher and it's going to catch a lot of complacent funds that have been selling vol. And if that happens, the upside is enormous. So I'm going to put a position on. I don't need to have a huge position on for it to have a huge impact on my portfolio. I'm not going to be greedy. If an asset goes from 40 to 240 in a month, how much do I need to have a huge year? So it's on my radar. I'm trading it. And I'll have you know that if you go back and look at the Vomageddon run, there were many mornings Almost every morning, but not every. There was a couple gap ups. Many mornings where VIX gapped down at the open and then ripped higher the rest of the day. If it actually gaps up at the open, even during the Valmageddon skyrocket, if it gapped up at the open, it usually sold off during the day. So weakness on VIX Monday morning is actually something to have your eye on. Because if it turns... Um, we're going to want to be on it. it it'll, be, it'll be exactly playing out the way it should, the way it does, when a squeeze is on. All right, so that's something to take a look at. Um, another position in my portfolio, treasuries. I have treasuries. We have treasuries in a big way. This is a trade. This is long-term treasuries now. I, don't, I told you we have treasury bills, but I also have 20-plus-year treasuries. TLT is an example. You can own TMS, which is triple TLT, or you can go out there and buy 20-year bonds, whatever you, however you want to play. You can buy options on it, whatever you want. All right? I'm going to use TLT as an example. TLT to me is a win-win situation. I don't see the downside here. If there is continued collapse in equity markets, money is going to fly into treasuries. This is what happened to TLT back in 2020. Let's just um, pull up the time frame together. Okay, so this is what happened in 2020. Treasuries broke the downtrend. Now, those of you who traded with me in 2020, remember we were on this trade. We bought treasuries here, and it ripped higher. We ended up selling it right here. And like, I think a day or two later, it skyrocketed again. But that was the end of the move. Okay? And if I get on a trade like this again in, volatil- in, in treasuries, you can look at the low. This is really amazing. The low of two days ago is the best stop when things start to get out of hand on the upside. As long as it doesn't take out the low of two days ago, you stay with it. And then right here would have been the exit on that day. But let's don't, let's don't overanalyze. You know, we don't have to get every little teeny uh, um, last bit. My point is, if we get weakness in equities because of something unwinding and volatility skyrocketing, then treasuries are going to be a no-brainer trade, long-term treasury bonds. So that's a big position for me right now. Full disclosure. This was a big position for us before, and this is what I mean when I say win-win. We took this position at the Armour Report in treasuries here, okay, down there. We took that before the whole SVB and Silvergate story, okay? So that's why I say it's a win-win. I think treasuries go up no matter what. Getting close to the end of the right high cycle, whatever you want to say, there's a perfect double bottom there in treasuries. They were going up anyway. And what's happening now might just accelerate that move 
out of that double bottom base. And so that's where I am. All right. So, oops. So those are a couple of thoughts for you all on how I'll be trading tomorrow. Let's get to your questions. The wrap up is if the Fed goes full QE, we all know what to do there. Market gaps up in the morning. I'm looking to sell that. Market gaps down big in the morning. I wouldn't be too quick to get long. Those are the three scenarios uh, as I see them. What are your questions? Let's have at it. Nothing is out of bounds. Tech Monkey, hey, how you doing, Deb? Nice to see you. Thanks for joining. I need Doc. How are you, Mo? Thank you for sharing. Uh, maybe your thoughts for what's happening. Oh, buy gold. But it's so manipulated. Oh, you know, it's so interesting you said that. I forgot to mention that's in the portfolio already, uh, Mo. So let's go over how we're trading um, precious metals on our trading desk and, and for investors. We originally bought Sprott Physical Gold right here, right down here on that green box, okay? And we booked profit. So what we like to do here is we, we do with something called trade around the core, okay? And right there, whoops, let's make it a different color. Okay, right there, we booked profit. That was the Fed meeting, by the way. So it was a breakout on the Fed meeting and then an immediate reversal took us out of half of our position of Sprott Physical Gold. And it took us out, Mo, of all of our mining stocks. All of our silver, gone. We don't have it. All we have is the investable part of gold in the portfolio coming into last week. And we're looking to double the position to get back to our full exposure, which we sold at higher prices. So we're trading around the core. We have a core piece we're keeping, which is 50, uh, if you look at the whole position, whatever the whole position is, half of it we're not touching. We have a much more lenient stop. I mean, at some point I might touch it, but my stop is a lot more lenient. And the other half we trade on a swing basis. So we sold it out in this particular case, right near the high. It's come down and Mo. Yesterday, Friday at the close, I doubled my precious metal position in gold, just physical gold. I'm not buying silver. I'm not buying the miners. I've, I could give you my, my, my experience from 2008. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And in 2008, one of the major reasons my dad and I made money running our hedge funds that year was our precious metals focus. But mining stocks suffered with the market as it goes down. Simple reason, they're, you know, I don't know, Newmont Mining is probably in the S&P 500. So if, if things are cratering, it just all, all stocks go down. But gold can shine in that moment, right? So I've doubled my position in Sprott Physical, which is to get me back to my full exposure. And I may make it even a bigger position going forward, remembering our successes in 08, if things unravel in a certain way, I'll increase my physical. But you won't see me buying the mining stocks. In fact, Mo, what I might do is take a big position in physical and short the mining stocks on an intraday basis. I might even hold them overnight. I might. Something I'll be doing. All right. Bye, MSOF. <laughs> Dennis, you got out of your mind, brother. Um, I don't, here's my, my plan on, uh, um, here's MSOS, okay? So you guys, you know I'm a cannabis fan, okay? I have my little, my little foray here, you know, um, Biden came out, they're, they're going to try to do something, blah, 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 ran up, reverse broke down, we got out, okay? Dennis, as sad as this makes me, I've made the decision. I'm not touching cannabis companies until I see the whites of their proverbial eyes, okay? I need to literally see the announcement from the DOJ, the recommendation to reschedule it, schedule S3. And even then, the stocks won't get away from me. They might double that day. Okay, I don't know, what is it? 640, maybe, what do they go to 12? Oh, what does MSOS go to 12? Okay, I'll pay 12. I don't care. I need to see the story first. I don't believe any of it anymore. And the problem I have now, and this is the biggest issue for me, I love the cannabis story. 
And for those of you who love the crypto story, it's the same problem. The concept might be right long term, but the companies that will benefit from it may be completely different than we think. That's the problem. They're taking so long to get to a, a legislation change. We don't know what the change will be. I mean, as an example, for all I know, it could be big pharma that ends up winning the cannabis argument. I don't know. They turn it into Schedule S thing, make it a drug, only big pharma. I don't know. You, you, you see what I'm saying? So I'm not, look, I'm sure True Leave and Green Thumb will go up on the news and everything, but there'll be a lot of reviewing that has to go on when the news hits about who really is going to benefit from this from these changes and how long will they take to you know to to take effect so you'll get the initial pop then you'll get a bunch of people that sell on the initial pop it's like thank god they can get out of some of their stock that they've been destroyed in and then it'll make a base and then i'll start buying it dennis and i just won't do it until then as much as that breaks my heart hey my brother how are you love uh Sharing thoughts that are engaging. Um, Tech Monkey. Um, Thank you for... Oh, you're welcome. Um, Thoughts on KMI, short-term, long-term. All right. So, Kinder Morgan and the pipelines. Great question. A couple of problems I have with uh, the the pipelines. First of all, I'm going to dip into my knowledge base from 2008. I'm not saying this is a great financial crisis, but I am saying we're going through something similar in some way. So perhaps looking back at that can help us a bit. Um, I had a client at the time, and she was just wonderful, God rest her soul. She was the first four-star female U.S. general in the, in the U.S. Army. She's a wonderful woman. Um, and I spoke to her during the, you know, February of whatever, 08. And I was like, God, we got to sell. All, all we had were her pipe. We had pipelines. That's all we owned. And she was living off the dividends. And I was like, Millie, we got to get rid of this. Right? This is the market's imploding. No, she's going to live through it, she said. She's going to just collect her yield. She doesn't care. The world's going to need pipelines. I said, okay, as long as you're okay with that. So her net worth, Deb, dropped 50% because they went down with every other stock. They're just stocks. So if the panic gets big enough, everything goes down. And she just kept collecting her yield. And coming out of it, blah, 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 2009, we all know what happened. She made an absolute fortune. We had tons of fun together, okay? Because what, what she really ended up doing, is we ended up adding more to all of her pipelines and you know, March 2009, maybe it was a little bit, a little after that. I didn't react in March 2009. I was still a little bit shell-shocked. But later we added some more and woman made a fortune. I, I share that with you only because I think there's a misconception that high-yielding dividend stocks will be a good place to hide to protect capital in a bear market or, or some type of crisis. They're not a good place to hide unless you have a holding period of three to five years and you don't touch the principal. Okay? So Kinder Morgan, AMLP, or what have you. I'm not a buyer of these things right now. And, and they're not, if you're looking to hide, you need to hide in treasuries and treasury bills. Okay? Um. Washing groceries. You remember that, Dennis? Washing groceries and like fighting, uh, fighting with people over, you know, a, a, a roll of downy. It was ridiculous. Still can't believe I lived through that. Let's go, Vix. I, I think you were mentioning that you you got uh, puts on Vix. If that's, I mean, I, I think you're going to make money on that. My guess is Vix is down in the morning, you know. And then the question is, you know, does it start to rip higher? So I'm not going to buy Vix just because it craters. In the morning, if it does, I don't know what it's going to do. What are the futures doing now? Okay, futures are up now, one percent, one and a quarter percent. So the Nasdaq's up one and a quarter, S&P's up one and a quarter, um, Dow's up one percent. Okay, so now things are starting to move, and it looks like VIX is—I don't know if that VIX future is right. 
but I don't, I don't think that number's right, but whatever. Um, VIX will be down because the market's gapping up. So I'm expecting, and of course, what's happening right now may not be what happens in the morning. We'll have to see what comes out overnight. But um, I would look to buy weakness in VIX, not buy the gap down. Watch it gap down, see how it trades, and if it starts to creep higher, I'm going to get on that. Signature Bank. Signature Bank was just seized and closed. So, was that a story just hit the tape? So SBNY, and we, we were short this stock on the desk last week um, when Silvergate went bust. And if you'll just all allow me a moment, you know, of an I told you so. I mean, I, I, I've been talking about Silvergate going bust since FTX was revealed as a fraud. And the first thing I said coming out of that to all of you who, who, who share time with me in these types of, of YouTube um, um, videos, live streams, uh, I said to you, Silvergate's going to go bankrupt. And, and, you know, they ended up liquidating themselves. And then the next step is Signature Bank because they're involved in the same things. And what we're discovering, and the real reason for that conversation with you, is that FTX was the first cockroach. And, and now they're all coming out. And unfortunately, a lot of people that are using Bitcoin are, you know, criminal entities, right, through these banks. And so all of this ugly stuff is, is coming out. And of course, the volume has totally collapsed on all these exchanges. I don't know why anybody is long shares of Coinbase. I don't know. Somebody could give me a reason why Coinbase would actually go up. I don't think they have a business model. I don't think they have a business model. This is my opinion. I know Kathy Wood's out there buying Coinbase. Okay. I don't think Coinbase has a business model anymore. Coinbase, the beauty of Coinbase is that they were ahead of the crowd, allowing all of us to trade crypto easily and trade all the alternative coins. Like if you want to buy Bitcoin, you don't need Coinbase. You can do it through Interactive Brokers, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, anywhere else, right? But if you wanted to buy the alt- alternate stuff or whatever, boom, Coinbase was the best, okay? Number one, nobody wants to buy that crap anymore, okay? And they probably never will, all right? And, uh, okay, and, no- and number two, so they've completely lost their, their leadership edge. Coming out of this, whatever crypto turns into coming out of this, what's the edge for Coinbase? I mean, is it, honestly, ask yourself that question. I don't, I don't see the edge. And I was just on the conference call last week. We covered it on the desk. I think this is a single-digit stock. You know, I think that MicroStrategy is a single-digit stock. I've been saying that for a while. I continue to think that. Now, I'll tell you what, Bitcoin, Bitcoin interests me. I've been saying I think Bitcoin's a single-digit stock, but, I mean, single-digit asset. But this weekend, I've started to rethink that. I don't know. I don't, I don't really, obviously, I don't know. Any, I'm just giving you ideas. But I guess I'm neutral on Bitcoin because if all the other cryptos just basically go the way of the dodo, and there's only a couple cryptos left, Bitcoin being the number one asset, and we have financial issues around the world, that actually might attract capital. I mean, Bitcoin was created out of the 2008 crisis, right? So I'm starting to wonder if, if, if Bitcoin is actually going to be an asset that I might want to own. Interesting. Somebody was asking me the other day, you know, well, what about the U.S. coming out with a digital currency? I think governments coming out with digital currencies are a disaster for us, at, at our, our life as we know it. I'm not going to mince words. And, and I think that would just drive people to put money into Bitcoin, right? to, to get away from a digital currency that the government can easily reach their hand right into your bank account and steal. I, I just... I. I don't want to put a tinfoil hat on here, but um, I'm taking my prediction of Bitcoin going to single digits off the table right now and just saying, I don't, I'm not sure what's going to go on from here on Bitcoin. It might be the last man standing and end up attracting capital. 
Um, Treasury will... Okay, Steve. Dylan just said Treasury will protect all deposits in SVB. You know, so futures just just popped on that on that news, Stephen. And so that's scenario really number one. Scenario number one to me, what I think is going to happen tomorrow morning is that the market's going to gap up. I don't know if it's 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever the number. It's going to gap up on a relief that the government's doing something. But my concern is if the government does too much, it's going to lead big investors to dump stocks because they're concerned about what's the next shoe that's going to drop. That's, so there's a very fine line that, that, that the Treasury Secretary and the Fed have to walk to get the narrative right. Um, so anyway, um, U.S. government guarantees SVB deposits money available Monday. Great, great. All right. So that's where we are. So, so that's the expectation. You give, give us the, the rocket ship. All right. Um, so that story came out while you guys were, what was it, 641. What time is it now? It's 656. And um, it, it really doesn't make a difference right now. I'm just looking at prices. But um, it doesn't really make a difference to me right now. Government steps in. What does that make you guys feel? Are you happy with that? I mean, right now the market's popped, and that's kind of even at that level we already talked about. Government's going to backstop all depositors. So there's not going to be a run on banks. See, what I think is going to happen now, the scenario to me, and we have to see tomorrow morning. I, I don't know. But what I think will happen now, we'll get the gap up. And then if that gap up begins to fail, it's going to get ugly quick because what's happening is people are – big institutions are concerned that what Treasury is doing is either an overreach or the question is going to be, why do they feel they have to do that? Is it that bad? That's, that's where my head is. Now, I've got to read and react, right? I'm going to read and react. I'm not going to just get short. I'm not just going to sell things, you know, because I feel this way. I'm sharing with you, these are the scenarios. If this unfolds, then I hit it, right? So a gap up that just takes off, oh, okay, I won't short anything. But a gap up that starts to fail, I'm going to say, I know exactly what's happening here, and I'm going to be pressing my bet on the short side and booking my profit on the calls. Right? That's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, tomorrow morning. So, all right, um, let's wrap it up. Any last questions you got? Any thoughts? Uh, Kevin, hey, Casey, nice to see you, man. Um, we'll surely have tons of volatility. Agree on treasuries, personally, uh, exposure to TYD. Yeah, sounds good. Day trading is probably a a really good endeavor in a market like this because um, the volatility is huge. So you get paid. Your reward to risk right now is brilliant. You know, your risk is whatever it is to the stop. But when you get the trade right, the reward's enormous. So now's a great time to be day trading. And we'll be doing that on the desk uh, again Monday. We had the biggest day of the, of the year. I don't know, actually more than the year. The biggest day in months on Friday trading long and short. So um, I'm, I'm going to be all over that again tomorrow and kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to the market open. Um, all right, guys, listen, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me at seven o'clock. It's been lots of fun. Why don't you all just get some rest, relax. The news has hit the tape. Government's going to make things whole for depositors. Not going to be a run on First Republic. There was never going to be a run on First Republic. Let <laughs> me just say that. Okay, just fear mar. So don't forget those people on Twitter that you might be following that scared you with total uh, um, snake oil bullshit tactics. Okay, remember those people and stop following them. They're they're just detrimental to your investing psychology, right? And put together a list, top shelf tweets of people that actually give you information that's valuable. That's what you want to try to do with Twitter. Twitter's a great thing if you curate the right list. If you curate a list of people who are chicken little, the sky is falling, 
it's a terrible thing. So remember those guys and, uh, and stop following them. Hey, much appreciated. We'll end on that note. Um, look forward to chatting with you all and seeing you tomorrow. Armor Insiders, 8.30 morning meeting. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful night. <laughs>